Welcome to the new episode of the podcast series When Machine Learning Meets Data Privacy. I'm your host, Fabiana, and today it's all about encrypting machine learning. We are already familiar with encryption, and we tend to think about data encryption as just a black box. So one side enters the encrypted data and a secret key, and on the other hand, we just get gibberish, or as we call it, ciphertext. But what about encrypted machine learning? Does that mean that these models just get more black box than they already are? What's new about it? And what are its benefits? To explain all these questions, I have invited Theo Rifle, one of the founder members of the Open Mind community and the reference name in what concerns privacy-enhancing technologies, such as federated learning, differential privacy, and homomorphic encryption. Hi, Theo. It's a pleasure to have you here speaking for the MLOps community about one of the hottest topics of the moment, privacy for machine learning. I guess there's no one better to introduce you than yourself. So please tell us a bit more about you and what you have been doing. Hi, everyone. I'm very pleased to be here today. I'll present like myself a bit. I'm first, I'm part of the Open Mind community. I'm the cryptography um, team lead, so trying to uh, coordinate all the initiatives around uh, cryptography at OpenMind. Second, I'm a co-founder of a company, a um, healthcare company based in Paris, which is named Arcan. Third, I'm a PhD student um, at ENS and Iria in Paris, uh, working on cryptography, of course, and also uh, machine learning. Out of curiosity, how have you started in this path of first machine learning and then specializing yourself in the, the world of cryptography? Yeah, so actually, I've started my studies in AI uh, in Paris and then in London at Imperial College. So I was like mainly work on AI solution, big data, stuff like this. For the final year research project, I selected a project with a lot of buzzwords. It was named federated machine learning on medical data using the blockchain technology. So, you know, like you have everything together. When my supervisor introduced me to OpenMind, so I discovered like this emerging community, it was like two years, uh, two years ago. So this had me to read some paper on like cryptography. And then I said, okay, that's like a very cool application of, of AI to combine like AI with, with privacy enhancing features. And that's where I started to combine both. And uh, actually, uh, I really enjoyed it. To be honest, our community is very tech savvy, so your audience know a lot around machine learning. But I think it could be interesting to get from your your side. What is about and what is the novelty of having encrypted machine learning? So I guess you all know about like cryptography, trying to encrypt some secrets to share them to other people. Before I start about like on encrypted machine learning. I would like to speak about encrypted computation. So encrypted computation is really about like, not only you have a secret that you encrypt, but you can also operate on it to do like some operation and to transform it into something different. So maybe you could like, something very simple is maybe like we are all together and we want to compute the average of our salary, but we don't want to disclose our salary. 
So one example of encrypted computation would be we all take our salaries, we encrypt them so that we cannot like read them anymore. And then in a special encrypted space, we compute the mean of all the salaries. And only this result, then we decrypt it together and we get the, the, the mean, but the average has nothing else. So that's like one, one example. Actually, that's like a very simple example, but then you can do a lot of computation when you can like combine many of them and you can do like a complete, like for example, a complete like model evaluation or even like a neural network training. And that's where you shift from encrypted computation to encrypted machine learning. To do this, like you have a lot of techniques that have like been developed over like the 10 last years. You may know some names like homomorphic encryption or secure multiparty computation, which I can explain very briefly. So encrypted computation, so as I said, like you compute over your own encrypted data and you do like no leakage, which is like the main uh, the main interest. So how, how does it work? And I would explain in particular secure multiparty computation. So the basic idea is very simple. Is the idea is to share ownership of a number. So that this, let's say this is a number and I will build two shares out of it. So, okay, I have this number, like, you know, it's a seven, it's a dummy number. I build two shares, but this share are truly random. Like there are some people randomly. And what I can do is I can give one share to Alice and the other one to Bob. And this way, like Alice has a share of my secret number, but has no idea and no way to finding what my secret number is. And same for Bob. So this way, not, neither Alice or Bob can reconstruct their secret. And what, what is really cool is that if they want to uh, reconstruct the secret, they have to all, all to agree together. So that's what we call shared governance. And it's a very cool feature about security part computation. Then you can do some operation on these shares. Like maybe if, if Alice and Bob compute locally, like uh, the double of the shares, if then they reconstruct the result, they will reconstruct the result, which is the double of the secret value. That's a very simple operation. Actually, you can also do that, something like the addition. Maybe, let's say I had actually two secret values, like seven and three, at a secret shared. Uh, Alice and Bob can locally add the shares and then uh, and then reconstruct the, the sum without having any ideas of that my two initial values were seven and three. And then you can do like more complex stuff like uh, like multiplication, which is a bit more subtle. And, um, and and with this in mind, like if you can do addition, multiplication, even like you can also do a private comparison, then you have all the building blocks to do a complete neural network evaluation. And so in that case, uh, that's exactly how you shift like from simple operation to machine learning private evaluation. Because like if you look at models, models are just like a collection of parameters that you can uh, sequester exactly the same way then I've shown with this like um, quite simple numbers. So that, that's the ideas about secure multiparty computation. So as you see, it's very, very simple. It doesn't re uh, require like a heavy cryptography. So uh, that's one of the cool features of, of these techniques. But uh, as I said, there are like many others, but I just wanted to, to, to display one. In the end, uh, what happens is instead of you having a public kind of weights of the model, you have them encrypted and the results can only be decrypted by, I don't know, the owner of the data is something like that. Exactly. So, um, the, the people like for security multiparty computation is like, it's all the shareholders should, um, should agree to reconstruct the data in other type of encryption. You will have like a secret key, which has to be used to reconstruct the data. 
it depends like of the protocol and you can encrypt either the data either the model or both so it really depends on uh, on, on the use case i'm curious to understand like for example you also mentioned the homomorphic encryption and also the the possibility of encrypting data versus encrypting the model can you give an example where one is better or more suitable than the others it depends on like uh, on exactly the use case so we'll we'll consider several use cases maybe you have a situation where uh, the data is sensitive and the model as well like you know uh, but the model is owned by a, a service a platform or something like this to do a prediction in that case what you can do is encrypt the data send it to the platform and then they won't have to because they already have the whole the model they don't have to encrypt it so they will just like combine the plain text model with the encrypted data which should be faster than having both encrypted that's an example because this way like the model won't leak and the data won't leak so that's sufficient for a situation we uh, like uh, where we use secure multi-party computation in that case because we will all uh, together we will sh um, hold shares of the data and, um, of the data if i used a plain text model we will you would have to share me also a plain text version of this model which is like not very uh, suitable so in that case what you will do you will also like secret share the model so it really depends on on how sensitive the model is uh, versus the data and based on this and uh, all this you know use cases and usually there there's a lot of questions about this and i feel like although there are new methods there is still a lot of doubts in the market about the new privacy enhancing technologies that are emerging. And we know that a lot of new methods in the, the area of cryptography are also appearing. What is your opinion on this, on the maturity and how you think we are ready for the enterprise world, let's say? Actually, I would say it really depends on, on the privacy enhancing technique that you use. Uh, encrypted machine learning is one. Maybe you are so familiar with like federated learning, which is also um, a nice way of having privacy because the data won't be disclosed. But in that case, you make the assumption that the model is public, which is also uh, okay in some cases. And you have like also other, other techniques like differential privacy, also, which gives other guarantees as well. The level of maturity and adoption is really different between uh, all of this. Like for Operated learning, for example, is already deployed on, on many um, uh, smartphones, like on Google smartphones. They have this use case where they try to predict the next word and um, what you might type on your text message. Um, and so they use, like, a, a, they train the model on all the different uh, mobile phones. For encrypted machine learning, it's, uh, it's less advanced, I would say. Like, like many people, like, understand um, that it would be really cool to have it, but they are not... Um, they're not really aware of how much the solution is, uh, how to how to use it. I think there is a big issue about awareness. That's like something that um, is still missing, and and it's important to explain that this solution exists. It's not completely practical for the moment, but it exists. There are like great progress being made um, over the last years. That is the most important thing for adoption. Obviously, the other thing is to so once you have a technique which has been like developed in the research area, then you have to build tools and products that help to, um, to use them for people who are not like maybe senior cryptographers, but would like to protect the data. 
based on that, I know that you have experience in the market and also with the open mind community, you probably have uh, been having interactions with different companies. In your perspective, do you feel like it is easier for tech-based companies understand, for example, the importance of maybe using things like encrypted machine learning versus a company which their core business is not exactly tech, let's say? Not exactly. I would say like the thing that makes a difference is uh, that many uh, companies or fields are blocked by privacy, um, data privacy issues because they're just not allowed to do some stuff, you know, like they're not allowed or not willing because like, if you take like banks, they're not willing to share the some records that maybe they could share and also like private data that just can't share because it's like private information about the client. So so in that case, this, this like uh, companies are not really like tech companies, but they have a problem is that they cannot cooperate to maybe like to fight financial crime they would have a great advantage of, of having such tools. So in that case, what what needs to be done is to, to speak to that people understand where they're blocked. Same for healthcare. It's exactly the same. Like the, like the company I, uh, I've co-founded, we have this issue and where we need to share data because we want to have like stronger motors that you have to do this in something in a way which is privacy preserving, obviously. What you need to do then is maybe so for banks, to go to banks, to go to hospitals and to explain, okay, here you are blocked. If you have this technology, which you have to assume that it's secure because like you're not an expert and, uh, and I claim I'm an expert, but then it's another another topic, then uh, you have to convince them that it's a good solution. This thing a bit magic will help them just to solve their problem. So I think, yeah, people with data, private data are like the one of the more able to, to stop adopting this technology. Although it seems a, a bit off as they have a lot of private data, as you, you mentioned, and it's quite interesting about your own company, I was curious if, of course, if you can share, I think it would be very interesting to, to understand whether, for example, healthcare is, and how you are helping healthcare leveraging, for example, encrypted ML, and if you could share like a use case or something, that would be awesome. For healthcare, I would say, again, like you are, you have several uh, privacy enhancing techniques, like, I think uh, hospitals are more ready to use for learning. That's like something which is really natural because hospitals like used to cooperate together. So, you know, like you have like a medical hospital, who say, okay, we have this super cool research project. We need to train that model on, on, on a lot of data. Let's put all the data together. And then, you know, if you just, you know, oh, actually, you can just keep your data uh, on your hospital and don't share it with the other one while training the, the model with the same accuracy. And then it's something that they, understand a lot because there's a big issue about sovereignty of the data. Even if the hospital trusts each other, which is often the case, it's important to to, to, to have the control of the data. So for further learning, they are really interested. We have spoken with hospitals which are like, you know, they say, okay, that's a cool thing and we would like to try it. For encrypted computation, you need also to have, to have the model which should be as a pilot. That's not always the case. Like, you know, it's in the situation that we have, as I said, like hospitals could share data but, uh, because they trust each other, and they want to go one step beyond and, uh, and try something which is like more private. But obviously, the model is really not an issue. If the model was an issue, which could be the case if you know there's like one pharma company which has trained this model using billions of like millions of dollars and say, okay, 
you can use my thing as a service, but the hospital say, okay, I don't really trust you. I won't send you my data like this. And and those two parties don't really trust each other. They want to use maybe like the model as a service. And, and so in that case, they're a bit blocked. And that's the situation where encrypted ML could, could really be developed. We don't have like for the moment, uh, some concrete use cases, but um, that's like where I envision that it could happen. No, that's a very interesting application indeed. And to be honest, I, I was not even aware that that kind of situation was able to unlock, for example, with encrypted machine learning, which is very positive. But I, I do have another question. I, and I think that that one, I feel it might be a recurrent one uh, when talking about encryption. Is there is a, a trade-off or it's not the trade-off, but... What is the complexity of implementing such kind of solutions versus, well, the benefit it brings you? Plus, I'm I'm thinking, okay, encryption or cryptography, it's usually like a monster for, for the majority of the, the people. So <laughs> I imagine that in terms of skill set, it also requires something extra. So first, I will respond by talking a bit about open mind. At Open, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people which are familiar with tools like uh, PyTorch, TensorFlow, to uh, use privacy-enhancing techniques in a very easy way. Like it's really like you take a tensor and you call dot encrypt on top of it, and then you can do encrypted operation. That's it. But that's, so in terms of, of of using this, we're trying to 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 do this in a very simple way. But of course, you still need to know what you're doing. Depending on the encryption protocol that you use, you don't have the same you don't have the same security guarantees. Like a very simple example, you have like two big families of crypto protocols. The one are secure against honest but curious other services. What does it mean? It means that um, you suppose that you're interacting with other services, but which like they will try to infer everything that they can. Like if they see data, they will keep it and maybe like do something bad with this. But they will not. Um, they will still uh, follow the protocol. They won't try to do like some special uh, stuff to trick you. That's the first family, which is obviously like the simple uh, the scenario and where we have the most efficient protocols. And the th second one is protocols which are secure against malicious adversaries. In that case, you assume that the adversary is trying to do like all that it can to try to disclose some data. It will like do stuff which was not uh, intended in the protocol, try to like, you know, to to cheat and to do like all, all, all the bad things. There are also some protocols for that kinds of adversaries, but they are much slower. So in terms of, of uh, runtime, like, okay, if I want to have this machine learning workflow, I want to do it now in, um, in an encrypted mode. So it used to be very, very, very slow. Like I would have said like 100 or 1000 times slower. But uh, over the years, it has like um, this like gap has, has reduced a lot. And there is a, a paper like from this like um, spring, which says, um, maybe I can quote it because I have it here. They say, our findings indicate that private deep learning over CPU is a factor of six um, times the complex execution. So we have only a factor of six. That's really cool. And like over GPUs, of course, it's, it's higher because uh, crypto protocols are not optimized for GPU for the moment. So, you know, it, like, it has reduced a lot, 
is still more. It will always be more. Like you cannot have uh, uh, everything, but it has like reduced a lot. And and you can start to have practical uh, scenarios. Like if you're familiar with with AI, like a few years ago, uh, there was a thing, this thing when people said, okay, we can do an encrypted convolutional network. And now, like uh, this year, there are some application of encrypted ResNet uh, 18, which is like you know it's much bigger. So we're doing progress, and now for more and more application fields can have some encrypted setting which are convenient enough. So yeah, just like this was a long answer, but what I would say is the syntax can be very easy, but you need to make sure that you're not using security guarantee, which is not precise enough for your use case, which is not uh, good enough, in which case uh, you will have problems, definitely. Yeah, makes sense. So above all, and although simple in terms of code, let's say, it's not as simple as just a line of code. You always have to know what you are doing. So that's a great input about this. Based on that, and now that you've mentioned that cryptography and especially the one related with machine learning and models have been evolving for time, do you feel like encrypted machine learning is yet in its baby steps and how do you feel about the evolution and direction of uh, of this kind of technology it's a very very recent technique and the, uh, the research is still very very active around this many progress are being made like every year i'm very optimistic about encrypted machine learning because uh, when i like as i told you, told you like the six time overhead is really not not a lot i have the impression that um so research is trying to is discovering really efficient protocols. Communities or companies like OpenMind, like Facebook and other are building libraries to make these tools practical for uh, for ML and data scientists. Everything is going in the good direction. So on, on that side of thing I'm I'm very optimistic. What I really like I hope is to see like more uh, production ready examples of people who are like using it, providing us some feedback and uh, this will also like be possible like for healthcare for the moment, like at least in France where I'm located, it's very complicated to share some data, even if you say it's encrypted, because it's medical data and there is a strong regulation around this. So you you have to really actually that doesn't exist a proper regulation around this which which encourages people to use these techniques. And and I think regulation has also a role to play here to to uh, when it's possible to force people to use such techniques, and so yeah, that that would also like help uh, these techniques to be to be more to be more uh, used in practice. It seems like just in everything we need first the regulation to make it mandatory before someone starts uh, implementing, especially around privacy. That's usual the usual behavior. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's true. <laughs> you already have mentioned the open mind community and we have talked about it. And I feel like, especially in the realm of privacy, open mind has definitely played a, a major role. I had the idea that you were uh, already in open mind since more or less the early days of the community. But essentially, could you share with us? You have already mentioned it, but could you share the, the, the view and the, the objective of this community overall? Okay, sorry. So OpenMind was founded by Andrew Trask in, in 2017. 
so it's now like uh, three years old. So there was like from the beginning a very 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 big like uh, people were really enthusiastic about it. Um, uh, there has been a lot of reflection and 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 open minded has changed a lot. And there was a day where it was involved with blockchain. It's not the case um, anymore. So it's like moving a lot. End of 2018, we had our first white paper and the first encrypted demo. And and the year after, we started collaborating with uh, with uh, many companies. And so so like that's like has been like a long journey. But so the motto of of mine is answer question on data you cannot see. So like that's the main uh, the main idea. And, and and what does it mean? We need to build the tools for people to do this to like to, to be able to collaborate with other people to help them on data even if you don't have a direct access to this data and 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 this objective uh, is pursued now by like the community is over 8000 people so that's like, really really huge though i think there are like like probably like maybe 30 teams working on different projects like on the so, so there's a PySift and PyGrid libraries which are like the more famous but there are many others to import the privacy and technologies like on mobiles on on so on iPhones on Android on the on the browser like a lot of of, of initiative around there oh there was a course last year uh, a UDA security course so I think the the, the goal of open mind is really to educate people to connect with companies to understand what they are looking for and to build like tools that are open to, uh, to anyone Everything is obviously free, even like the course on on on, on university. Um, so uh, in September there was like a free conference uh, called Python, which also gathers like a lot of researchers from privacy and techniques and students and companies together. So um, it's really like privacy should be open to anyone. It shouldn't be a business. And I think that's the vision that Andrew Trask is is leading is to say, okay, uh, let's build the tools and and let's share them with the next number. I have to say that's a very bold vision and very interesting, especially on the sense that, okay, as, as data scientists, we are so used to see the data and to dig into the data that the concept of being able to produce machine learning without having the possibility to see, I feel like it would unlock a lot of new innovation in areas that usually are, well, more restricted in terms of access to data. And based on what you mentioned, and yeah, I understand they, these two, PySift and PyGrid are definitely the most known. Can you just give us a preview just to, to give a taste of what is the, or are they so our audience can go and play around and start getting into what are these libraries? Just like a very short, PySift is, is about providing wrappers around like a major different frameworks uh, to be able to send sensors over to these workers to encrypt data to uh, use several techniques including so like differential privacy and stuff like this and PyGrid is a library providing the network so a complete network around around real workers located on several machines to be able like to communicate with them and really like send data and um, like the infrastructure you can do like very very different stuff with uh, with these libraries. Like maybe the most the sim- most simplistic uh, example is um, it's like two uh, people, like maybe like a scientist and someone which has data, maybe in the hospital, which are like connected uh, on their notebook, connected together, 
and and they are doing like data exploration so and analysis so that that situation what you can do is you can directly like maybe if i'm the data scientist i connect to the remote data and i can uh, remotely i can do some some operations some small analysis and maybe i can get have some aggregated um, output back but not the full data i can be held by the other person uh, on the um, on, on 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 the other side maybe on the hospitals and these two persons can really like just just go on a phone use a, a discussion on the phone and and in the meantime interact with the same data together so you know it's like almost like a google doc but for like uh for like sensitive data and where you cannot just leak the data so it's very it's very um that's a very simple but uh, i think useful example you can also do like classic learning where you really like set up a task where you connect to several nodes which have some data you set up a training task you say okay for 10 epochs please train this model try to synchronize every epoch or stuff like this that's like more a more classic learning and then you can also do um um uh, stuff around encryption so that's the part uh, like the most involved uh, so you take your network and some data you encrypt it and then you do like either you do simple evaluation like Typically, a ResNet 18 that you can evaluate, or you can take a neural network and, and do some training over some data which is, which is encrypted. So all of this is um, stuff that are currently in ISIFT. Um, we're working on differential privacy. So there are some already some stuff in OpenMind differential privacy, and we're trying to connect this with machine learning to do uh, deep learning with differential privacy. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe just to to complete on this, like uh, there are like, on PySafe and PyGrid, so definitely that's a good way to to see everything. Like I've just explained with my hands, but you can code. Uh, it's very very easy to read uh, because it's very like like PyTorch, or so that's very. Nice. I will leave links, all the tutorials, and uh, quick links to to access all these platforms and solutions, so uh, our audience can start trying. Awesome. We are reaching the end, but before we always have like a, a section of our podcast where we like to give the microphone to our guests. So usually we enjoy to hear out some, some stories or experiences that you feel like is very useful to, to share with us. So I give the microphone to you. <laughs> Over the last two years, we are like the community has grown a lot, and our like main question was to see how we can have new people joining the community, uh, getting involved, and to start contributing to the code or using the code for the project or stuff or stuff like this. And I think like it's it's actually very challenging because like the code uh, is evolving very very quickly. It's like sometimes it's a bit complicated to read, and it's it's can be hard to get on board it on this. So yeah, I think we've, we've been doing a lot of, of efforts there and uh, and we've learned a bit about like who can join and, and, and what are like the good the good things to know when you join the community. Maybe like first if you assume um so we have as I told we like we have tried to build some uh tutorials to help people like different tools but it's always a bit a bit challenging and what I would recommend if you want to join a community like OpenMind, you don't have to be like a crypto expert or, or, or anything of this. But really, really not. But the good thing to have is to have a personal project. Like maybe 
your students to have like a research project or a code project. Uh, and that's a good opportunity to, because like you need time to, to dive into the code and to, 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 to meet the different and, and having a personal project is really a good occasion to, to get, get involved. And, and, and what is like many people who join for a project is like after the project was over, people stayed because, you know, like they had, um, they had discovered like many people and, uh, and actually they just like were enjoying, um, uh, their work at, at Open Mind. So, so really, I know it's complicated. Like I, I, I spent my first month where I discovered Open Mind. Really complicated to try just to run demos. The demos were not working at the time, and the code was changing every day. But at the end, it's really worth it, and you you meet a, a lot of amazing people. Well, that, that's like a, the, the students' uh, perspective. And from a company's perspective, also because obviously, as I was working with, uh, at Arcan as well, and we were trying to like how we can work together. I think it's a great opportunity for companies to uh, to use this. Um, Open source blocks, which are like well maintained, you have like a strong community behind, and it's also a way not. And, and, and the best thing is not only to use it, but to to cooperate with them because, like, obviously, if you're building use cases, it's very helpful for contributors and for for um, for open to better understand. Okay, people are actually trying to do this. So we write the library in a way which is more convenient for uh, for, for all these companies, which are like uh, which will put uh, this code into production. It's an opportunity, like for for nice collaboration to meet like researchers, great scientists, and um, and so definitely like I would I would recommend go for those communities like Open Mind and and uh, and you won't regret it and you will meet people that you you will maybe hire later and um, yeah it's 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 really it's really like nice way to to collaborate to try stuff and especially like why not for Open Mind the communities it's really Active, we have a Slack, which is like definitely uh, maybe too active for me, but uh, very active. You can ask questions, you always get help, and cannot like just just uh, yeah. If you, you don't know, you just just try it, and you will. Uh, I bet you will enjoy it. That's awesome, and that was a, a an awesome share moment because usually we are not aware yeah. of how open source code projects do evolve. So from zero to something that can be used by, by major companies. So that, that was an awesome experience. And by the way, another question that I have, you mentioned that you usually in September you, you host or you help PyCon. Is there any other like events that you also held? I, I think you have a, a session where people can present their projects. Is that correct? Yeah, we have AMAs. Featuring some uh, contributors from Open Mind, where anyone can, can uh, ask a question live. We have also some um, some events where we present. Like every time we have a release, a big uh, a big release of the library, we do a public event around this to, um, uh, to 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 speak about like the new features and how to how to use the library in this new version or stuff like this. And uh, and last also um, we have meetups. An incredible number of meetups all over the world, in Paris, of course, but also like in many, many major cities. That's a good way to also meet with the community of people which are like uh, close to you and, and, and try to, to start local initiatives. So, yeah, I, I think like uh, uh, the Twitter of Open Mind is, is uh, share a lot of about, uh, about these events. So it's definitely nice to, 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 to follow if you want to learn more about what's happening at Open Mind. 
uh, yeah, a lot of events uh, going on, on on a daily basis. Okay, Theo, it was a pleasure to meet you and to have you here as a guest, sharing your experiences not only uh, on encrypted machine learning but also on the Open Mind community. And yeah, that's it. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you a lot, Fabiana.